Hi, guys, and welcome to another edition of the Hypocritical Podcast. Coming up on the show, we have the Inc. 500 list and some great news to tell you about, the third annual Palbox Secure, a report that came out today called No Need to Hack When It's Leaking, and another encrypted interview this week with Julianne Quinn from RSA Bill Inc. that you don't want to miss. So please welcome my co-host this week, Hoala Grevy. Mahalo, Elena. Great to be here. Always a pleasure. Now let's get right into this. And top of mind right now, Powbox made the Inc. 500 list, and you have announced the dates for the third annual Powbox Secure. Yes, that's right, Olena. Uh, so for the first time since launching Powbox in 2015, we submitted an application to the Inc. 5000 list. The list is Inc.com's ranking of the 5,000 fastest growing private companies in America. And its rankings are based on percentage revenue growth over a three year period. Um, they do vet, you know, we did have to send uh, tech, like tax returns and I think we had to get our CPAs to sign off on it. And long story short, I'm pleased to say that we ranked number 320, uh, which puts us in the upper 6% of the list, which also puts us in the Inc. 500 list. So um, pretty excited about that. I think there's some good morale boost for the company. And I'd just like to say mahalo to our chief operating officer, Rick Kurohara, for getting the supporting documentation submitted on a tight deadline. It kind of wow. came out of left field and we got it all done in, I think, a week or something. That's fantastic. Such an honor. And so they have a list of the 5,000 fastest growing, and then they also have a list of 500. Yes, that's right. So we made the Inc. 500. And for us, it reinforces some things we firmly believe in here in Powbox. And you know, it's basically three things, right? So one, the total addressable market for what we're doing, HIPAA compliant email is indeed humongous. Uh, number two, there will be continued to be uh, immense opportunities and work ahead for us. And three, uh, we're just not stopping. We're still very much just getting started. Of course. Well, and congratulations. Very well deserved. I'm really, really happy for you guys. Oh, thanks. So tell me more about Powbox Secure. It's being extended to a two-day online conference uh, that's coming up in October. Yeah, that's right, Olena. It'll be from October 21 through October 22. It's naturally going to be an online uh, virtual conference, just like everyone is doing these days in COVID. And we've got half a dozen top-notch speakers lined up, and we're getting more of them <clears throat> and filling out the uh, schedule. And we're pleased to announce that HITRUST will once again be a strategic sponsor of ours this year. And for more information, you can just go to powboxsecure.com to get more information on this year's conference. That's powboxsecure.com. And so would this be the first virtual event that you guys are having? Yes, it'll be our first virtual one. The other two we held in person in San Francisco. And so we're, uh, just like everyone else, being forced to learn how to, how to do something on, virtual and online. So looking forward to it. I think we can put together some valuable content for our customers and uh, attendees. So very much looking forward to uh, October 21 and 22. Excellent. And um, what kind of people would you encourage to check it out? Uh, people in security and healthcare or healthcare enthusiasts in general, I believe we do a survey at, at the end of our first two conferences. And if 
I'm not mistaken, 100% of respondents said they did find value from attending our conference. So uh, I do uh, highly encourage people to attend. Wonderful. All right. Well, we're going to talk about what's in the news right now. And I understand a troubling report came out today on databreaches.net entitled, No Need to Hack When It's Leaking. Can you tell me more about it? Sure. So I woke up this morning to a text from one of our advisors, Eric Nakagawa, also an early investor in Powbox. And he sent me a link to a Reddit thread that was posted this morning that outlined how a PDF entitled, No Need to Hack When It's Leaking, was came into a being. And in a nutshell, uh, this Reddit thread and subsequent report focuses on leaks of protected health information uh, via GitHub and this researcher's journey into finding and eventually helping protect the 100 to 100,000 to 200,000 individuals who had records uh, stored there. And so in a nutshell, what happened is uh, GitHub is a place where uh, tons of companies store their source code and GitHub makes sure that the branches and, <clears throat> and ver versioning gets taken care of so that uh, you don't have to do it internally. You can just have GitHub post your code, you pay them a small fee per year, and you can grant access to your code for your developers or even make your code public to the internet. So uh, this researcher, I hope I get pronunciation right, Yale Ersum, security researcher in the Netherlands, um, what he did was he did some like basic poking around and he found two errors that nine U.S. healthcare entities uh, had mistakes in. And so the first error was, is this practice of storing the logging credentials that your code needs to access data, storing those logging credentials, i.e. username and password in the code rather than separating them out of the code as a configuration option that the code reads from a separate file, basically. So that's mistake number one. The credentials are stored in the code. Then mistake number two is in GitHub, you can have your code marked public or private. So private, you know, only you and your developers can see and check out the code, public, anybody can download the code and use it or fork it for their own use. And so these nine healthcare entities, in addition to embedding hard-coded login credentials, also mark that code as public. So in other words, username and passwords are there on GitHub for anyone to see. And apparently he started finding uh, these things within 10 minutes of searching. Uh, looping this back to high trust, and which is why we're so uh, tightly aligned with high trust. <laughs> we really like what they're doing and it validates our approaches to security. So when we went through our recertification process this year, which is in itself <clears throat> is a journey, one of the many hundreds of controls we had to prove was that we do not co-mingle user login in our source code. So we had to uh, attest that we're not doing this and then document that we're not doing this. Um, so this is part of our high trust. This is why it rang a bell to me when I, when I read this this morning. And then in addition, um, this practice also breaks one of the rules behind the 12 factor app, specifically rule number three, separating uh, config from code. 
And if you want, want, want to learn more about the 12 Factor app, it's just 12factor.net, the number 12factor.net. Anyhow, long story short, it's a 35 page report and it focuses on nine US healthcare entities who in some total expose at least 150,000 individuals protected health information. And that's probably only the tip of the iceberg. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a whole lot more underneath wow, that. Wow, that's incredible. Well, breaking news, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm sure this story is going to get picked up. Um, I'm sure it's going to hit. I mean, it's a Monday. I'm sure it's going to get more news. So. Mm-hmm, for sure. And then what's GitHub, just in case you know some people might not be familiar it's a popular service that developers use and almost every startup that I know uses, including Facebook and the biggest companies you can think of. And they use it as a place to store their source code. So if you've got a team of five, 10, hundreds of developers, you know, it's a place where they can store the code, check out the code, merge the code. And it just makes um, shipping code, you know, you have a source of backup, version control, things like that. Uh, most of the internet, well, at least the companies I know of are GitHub users. <clears throat> and then Microsoft bought them, I think a year and a half ago for a, a lot of change. Oh my gosh. Well, good to know. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be checking on a lot of their information. Yeah. And what's freaky is, you know, you could have a business associate, like a vendor of yours that's, you know, has side projects of theirs, um, where they're trying to make some <laughs> interpretations of your data, for example, and they could be the source of the leak. So it's not just the health healthcare organization itself, it's also the vendors they use. High trust is just a great um, thing to <laughs> invest your company's resources in because it proactively addresses things like this. Wow. Well, really, really insightful. And thank you for sharing that with us because that's going to be a big one as it continues to evolve. Yes, I believe so. (laughs) All right. Well, moving on. Um, On this week's encrypted interview, Sierra Reed, Powbox Marketing Manager, chats with Julie Ann Quinn from RSA Bill Inc. As the president of a medical billing service in California, Ms. Quinn shares some insight into the current billing and medical climate and how services have changed and adapted since COVID-19. Take a listen. Um, How has delivering services changed with the coronavirus? I know that all companies have had to adapt and just very curious about how RSA Bill Inc. has, has been adapting during this environment. Yes. So we are in Southern California and um, we've been hit pretty hard. We're actually in our second wave and um, we had, I believe third week of March, we were told um, shut down. Uh, You know, it was a, a government, everybody stay in place mandate. So we had to quickly adapt to working from home. I have a huge office and we set it up. I know. We nice, set it up. nice. <laughs> yeah, and it's new. We, we hadn't even been here a year um, and set it up so that we had this wonderful collaboration and synergy in what I call the war room, which is where all 25 employees were in teams and pods, but not cubicles. We have we have this very open concept of 
um, like I said, collaborating with one another because everything's changing annually. So uh, carrier specific that they have their own little rules and it's like, oh, well now this insurance has started doing something different. So we're able to share that with all of the team, which then helps all of our clients to immediately start making that change. Um, where uh, if you are doing your own, say, in-house billing, it might take you four months, six months to figure out why are they now doing something different and I don't get it and I'm on the phone and I'm appealing and, and I'm, I, I can't get a straight answer. We are getting that much sooner because of our, our many clients and, and team collaborating on what happened this week that we work on a on a monday through thursday schedule of what the teams our tasks are and then on fridays we meet and say what happened this week what what are you seeing what are any trends or changes that we want to be a step ahead of and share with our other teammates and report back to our clients um so uh coronavirus all of a sudden has us all working at home so we had to suddenly change our template and our workflow of being disconnected but knowing how important it is to have that collaboration and communication how are we going to address that so um i think we were very successful considering it was a fire drill in in the initial phases but now we have developed um, those protocols to be able to work from home and not lose our communication with one another right it definitely is starting to feel like the norm you know all of the coronavirus and working from home it's starting to feel very normal so i'm sure when everyone starts to go back into the office it's going to feel very weird so Yes. Well, and we did start transitioning back a couple of weeks ago um, with all the new protocols as recommended by CDC and also to accommodate, you know, employees comfort levels. Um, so it's, uh, it, it's, it's changing constantly. I don't know if we're going to get another stay in place. Um, you know, our governor keeps hinting that if things don't improve, we might be back there so we're we're in a situation that we feel comfortable working in the office or not working in the office so we've got both both systems going side by side right now and julie what uh what differentiates your business from other medical billing providers um i would say that it's definitely our personal white glove treatment. Um, we act as though we are the doctor's billing department. Um, yes, we have a template for success. However, each office is unique and we want them to feel comfortable that we're interacting with their patients in the same um, tone as they would if they had um, one of their employees talking to the patient. We want to respect their way of dealing with their customer. 
we represent them. So it's a balance of us doing a great job. Um, we know how to do the billing side, but we want to also be part of their team. So that's, that's what makes us very different um, from other billing services. And just our results speak for themselves on um, our performance. There are benchmarks for evaluating your billing and collections. And I incorporate every month in our month in reports to our clients, what our grade is, how are we doing, um, what it, how is your database performing? And, and we are accountable to that. And I'm very transparent to show them um, and proud to show them that we're right in the A grade where we're supposed to be. Fabulous. Customer experience and transparency is definitely key. So that's, that's fabulous to hear. And how do you see the healthcare and insurance industries evolving in the next 10 years? We've seen so much change just in the last 10 years. It's going to keep evolving uh, very quickly. Telemedicine was a um, byproduct of uh, COVID-19. Um, and I say that because we had telemedicine before, but it's actually was very restricted, very limited as to which providers and which patients being served were eligible for those services. And where I am in Orange County really did not apply to, to any of our practices. It was designed for, you know, rural underserved areas, that, that type of thing. So um, because of this emergency, um, HHS declared, we want to keep medicine available and keep patients and doctors safe. So we're going to open up all services, all providers can access telemedicine during this emergency. And um, the doctors love it. The patients love it. It works. It makes sense. I think the insurance companies will love it when this emergency is over, um, it's going to, in my opinion, be now a, a normal um, tool available. And so that's gonna be the first thing we see. And then there's going to be more technology. You know, tech, new technology is, is every three months, six months, and um, medicine, and I'm not sure why, has always <laughs> been a little bit behind than all the other industries when it came to technology advances um, in the delivery of medicine. Now, not in the research side, mm -hmm. but in, in the provider delivering medicine to the patient. Um, we've always been the old school, come sit down, you know, let's, let's have a consultation, let me examine you. Um, those are so important, but I think technology is going to help us to take medicine to the next level. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Hypocritical Podcast. If you like what you hear, be sure to like and subscribe. You can also visit our website, palbox.com, for more information. Hoala, thank you so much. It was great chatting with you today. Thank you, Elena. Aloha. Aloha.